everyone, this is Deborah Richardson, and today I am putting the AP in Happy, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. If you are looking for vendor process training for you or your entire vendor team, head over to my site at DeborahRRichardson.com and click on the Vendor Team Training Solved button to learn more about what is included in the monthly or annual plan and also to download a 2021 training schedule. Get the training that you and your team needs to avoid payment fraud, duplicate vendors, compliance fines, and more. So when you set up a new vendor or change an existing vendor, you're probably collecting the IRS Form W-9 or the applicable version of the IRS W-8 if you're a U.S. entity, um, along with a vendor setup form and then using that information to perform validations. But what about other documents that um, you may receive um, at the time of the request? So during today's episode, we're going to take a look at that data that you can validate on invoices, banking forms, and contracts. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 154, Vendor Validations Using the Data on Invoices, Banking Forms, and Contracts. Now, validation is an important step. This step verifies that the new vendors are real and that changes to existing vendor data is coming from the real vendor and that the information submitted is accurate. Now, in order for the complete set of validations to be done, you need to know what you can validate and where. If you are a U.S. entity, you are most likely already collecting the IRS Form W-9 or the applicable version of the IRS Form W-8, along with your vendor setup form. Then taking that information and performing an IRS 10 match using the legal name and tax ID, validating the address, as well as uh, checking the OFAC and other watch lists. You may, however, be missing out on other pieces of data that can be validated from other documents. So let's talk about those documents. Um, And we're going to start with invoices. Now, depending on whether it's a PO or a non-PO purchase and based on the timing of the purchase, an invoice may be available at the time of vendor setup. And so you may be sent that with your uh, uh, documents that you require. So here's what you can use from the invoice. The first thing is the DBA name. So 
The IRS W-9 or Form W-9 may not have listed the disregarded entity or DBA. Um, the person or your point of contact at the vendor may not have known that they needed to add that. And so um, when you have the invoice, you can check it for a DBA. And you know that is important because unless you have that DBA listed on the vendor record in your vendor master file, it's going to be hard for your invoice processing team to post that invoice to the correct vendor record. So where the W-9 may not have listed that DBA, the invoice will have the DBA and now you can add it to the vendor record. Now the second piece of data is remit address and this could be different than the W-9 address. And so you can get that from the invoice and that will be important, especially if you still have check payments and and we know that some of you out there can't get rid of yet those check payments. So you need to make sure it's going to the right remit address. And again, it may not be the one that is on uh, your W-9 or W-8 that you've collected from the vendor. The next one is banking. Now, usually only international vendors include banking on their invoices, um, but it can be used to verify that you have the correct banking on file. If you notice that the banking has changed, do not change it based on the invoice. Rather, reach out to the vendor using contact information on your vendor record and follow your, your change process if it needs to be updated. And this is also the same thing if you have a new uh, vendor and that vendor has banking, um, that banking can be on the invoice, but still follow your process, which should include a uh, banking form, a company branded ACH banking form, but make sure you're following that process and not just adding or updating banking from the invoice. But you can use it to verify that you have the correct banking on file if you already have banking and that could trigger your inquiry back to the vendor to ask them if their banking has changed because lots of times you won't get that information um, unless they are missing a payment. Okay, the next piece of data is the value added tax or VAT. Now this is an international country level sales tax that your company's tax team may need to use to reclaim, uh, reclaim VAT that has been added to invoices paid. Now the last one on the invoice is contact name, phone number, and email address. Now this is great for confirmations since best practice is to confirm changes to the vendor record with someone other than who is submitting the request at the vendor um, when changes are made to remittance information. And so this is um, good for not only banking changes, but also for remit address changes when there is a check payment because there's still check fraud out there as well. All right, so let's move on from the invoice to the banking form or bank or company letterhead. Now, as part of best practices, in addition to vendor banking on company or bank letterhead, if you choose to accept it, because it could be fraudulent, um, it's best to collect vendor banking on a company branded ACH form when you are paying your vendors electronically. 
Now, I do want to mention episode 126, which is called Should You Change Your Vendor's Banking Based on an Invoice? And really, I go into um, why you don't want to do that. But then I also talk about what's best practice to include on that or your own company branded ACH form and how you can include like authenticating data um, to make sure you're not changing your vendor's banking to a fraudulent um, cyber criminal's bank account. But anyway, check out episode 126. Getting back to this, here are some things on your banking form or your company or bank letterhead that has your vendor's banking. So the first thing is the banking routing number or the ABA. And you do want to verify that that banking routing number or ABA can be used for ACH and or wire since some banks uh, have two different routing numbers uh, based on which type of payment it is. And also you want to verify that it's still valid. Banks merge and are acquired all the time and vendors don't always keep up with that. So they may send you a an old um, routing number or uh, ABA number. So make sure you verify that. The next thing is the uh, vendor's international business identifier code, BIC, or the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication Code, or SWIFT. I bet you didn't know that's what those acronyms stood for. I didn't until I looked them up. Um, but again, otherwise are known as the BIC and the SWIFT codes. And non-U.S. countries that do not require an IBAN will have a BIC code or SWIFT code along with their bank account number. And so you do want to make sure that those are still valid. The next thing is the IBAN. Um, and the IBAN is required for all bank accounts in the EU countries except Norway, Switzerland, Liechtenstein and Hungary. So you do want to verify that. And then um, next, you want to verify the bank account holder name and the bank account ho- uh, bank account number. And you want to validate that um, your bank account holder name matches, right, your vendor's legal name and thereby validating bank account ownership. So you do want to uh, verify that you're not going to pay a cyber criminal's bank account. All right. So we talked about the invoice. We talked about banking form or the bank or company letterhead. Now let's talk about the last one. And that is the contract or the statement of work. Now, I know that this is not something that you always get, but This is one of the documents that I learned to ask for, um, because if you don't ask for it, they may not, uh, sourcing or purchasing, may not realize that there's information on it that you can use, and so they won't automatically send it to you. And they may not still automatically send it to you, but I would ask um, if you can get that, because there is some information on it that you can use. All right, so let's start with the legal name and tax ID. This is actually one of the things that I always ask the legal team or whomever was responsible for creating and um, uh, completing those fully executed um, contracts. Um, they always have the legal name, but they very rarely had that legal name and tax ID combination. And that is really helpful 
especially when you receive an invalid W-9 because the vendor's point of contact does not know the proper legal name and tax ID combination. So if you think of a Fortune 200 company that can have many um, legal entities uh, and you know probably just as well that back and forth and back and forth and back and forth process with your vendor to get that final, you know, correct W-9 with the correct legal name and tax ID. Um, That contract can let you know what that uh, legal name and tax ID needs to be. So that is um, very helpful. The second thing is a contract number and then the start and uh, start and end date of the uh, contract itself. Um, the vendor team can enter those dates on the vendor record so you can track when payment terms expire. There are lots of times um, instances where accounts payable was paying um, making vendor payments based on an expired vendor term. Maybe you have default uh, vendor terms and maybe they're 90 or 120 days, right? They're out there depending on your company. Um, and maybe that vendor has a reduced number or a, re- a reduced number of days for their payment terms, but then that expires and the contract doesn't get renewed. Or when it gets renewed, it gets renewed at the default payment terms. But you don't have a trigger in AP to say, hey, let's take a look at the new contract at the new payment terms so we can get our uh, system updated. And so having that information in your vendor master file will help uh, accounts payable um, pay those vendors at the applicable time, not early and not late. And then the next one is payment terms. So we just talked about having accurate payment terms in your vendor master file. Well, you get that those original payment terms from the contract and you update that in the accounting system or ERP on the vendor record to ensure again that payments are not made too early or too late. And how many times have you found that you're using the default vendor payment terms because you don't know what they need to be um, and you don't find out that they need to be different until you get that vendor calling looking for their payment. So capture the payment terms, which can be on that contract or statement of work. The next one is the remit email address. So just like I talked about it being on the invoice, um, you do need that remit email address to add to your vendor record um, to send that remittance information. And again, it reduces inquiries to accounts payable for how to apply payments. And then the last thing is the contact name, phone number, and email address. So I talked about this on the invoice. Um, This is great for confirmations, again, because best practice is to confirm changes with someone other than who is submitting the request um, from your vendor when there are changes made to remittance information. So a couple of places you can look to get those other contacts is that invoice and the contract or the statement of work. Okay, so now that you know what you can validate on three additional documents that you may get during the vendor process, in the show notes, I will link to a vendor validation reference list 
with links to resources for the IRS 10 mesh, the IRS sta uh, standardization and status, as well as banking validations and really all the validation resources for the items that I talked about today and more. So I will put a link to that. It is a free download on my site. Um, so make sure you go to the show notes and you follow that link and you can go ahead and download your very own vendor validation reference list with resource links um, that you can use and uh, feel free to share it with your entire team. So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 154th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy.